0: Welcome to Your Gal Friday, a podcast about female leaders, innovators, and rule breakers. Each week, your hosts, Leah and Phoebe, will shine a spotlight on an amazing gal and talk about what we can all learn from her. Brought to you by Gal's Guide to the Galaxy. Welcome to Your Gal Friday. I am Dr. Leah Leach.
1: And I'm Phoebe Freer.
0: Today, we're talking about a gal who inspired Elvis, Johnny Cash, Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Bob Dylan. We're talking about Gospel's first superstar, who shocked audiences with her electric guitar. Today, we're going to dig into the start of rock and roll and talk about the life and legacy of your gal, Sister Rosetta Tharp.
1: Woohoo. So I honestly had no knowledge of Sister Rosetta Tharp before the show, which is kind of embarrassing now that I know You're more about her. You're not alone. It, I'm not yeah, alone, don't worry about
0: it but it's <laughs> like
1: man we really I'm really glad we're covering her because we she needs to be known like she's yeah great. and she's
0: <laughs> fascinating right she <laughs> is
1: and as a big fan of rock and roll I am sad to report that I didn't really know her at all but I'm excited and you figure rock and roll has to come from somewhere right I'm excited to tell you that it came from sister and we're i mean <laughs> it's just it's it's a great journey. I I'm excited.
0: Oh yeah, she's been a lot of fun to spend time with. Oh yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, for me running into this like I had this train and strange things happen every day uh on my iTunes since like the early 2000s. Uh this is when my husband and I were big into blues history um because we really wanted to know how many songs Led Zeppelin ripped off. That was kind of what started it. That's hilarious. <laughs> Spoilers, lots of them. Uh so that's kind of, you know, we started digging into blues history and of course sister even though she was more gospel You know, it all kind of blends together, and I loved her sound. So I knew her as the godmother of rock and roll, and I think a lot of people feel safe calling her that, but, like, as our listeners, you know, come along with us for the journey, you're gonna see she is much more than that. Oh, much more.
1: (laughs) So much more. So much more. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah.
0: So should I set the tone a little bit for our listeners and give an ever so brief history of rock and roll? Yes, please do. All right, so this is as brief as it comes, because there are many a books written about the history of rock and roll, and it can get complicated on who you ask. But right. the nutshell is, uh, rock and roll started as rhythm and blues in the American black community in the 1930s. It was a mix of gospel spirituals from church and work songs from the cotton fields. It was also a mix of big band and of jazz, but it wasn't called rhythm and blues in the 30s. It was called race music. Sometimes it was called sepia or Harlem hit parade. And just like segregation at water fountains, there was separation of chart records like billboard for music featuring black artists. Now, after World War II ended in 1945, there was prosperity in the white middle class of America. Teenagers had a lot of free time And spending money And they were not amused at all By the wholesome sounds of Perry Como And Frank Sinatra So they looked to other stations on the dial They looked at rhythm and blues stations So when Ohio DJ Alan Freed got wind Of what white teenagers were listening to He started playing rhythm and blues On Mainstream Station In 1954 he started calling it Rock and Roll Now sales of race records saw a huge increase and white record producers took notice and wanted in on this so many covers were made having white performers sing the hits by black artists and unfortunately those covers would actually outsell the original kind of oh wow
1: (laughs) yeah that's kind of a bummer
0: It really is. Uh, Around this same time, though, Sam Phillips was in Memphis, Tennessee, recording Black Rhythm and Blues artists, thinking the real money is finding a white guy who sings with that much feeling. Well, Mm. Sam found Elvis. (laughs) Mm. Now... Elvis and his friend George Klein, before meeting Sam Phillips, would spend Sunday nights going to black churches and listening to gospel. In an interesting role reversal, George Klein talked about how they would have to sit in the back, which I thought was really cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So... Gospel influenced Elvis's singing and style and Sister Rosetta Tharp was the number one gospel singer in the world and Elvis was a big fan. So now the white DJs and record producers and artists started branding this new rock and roll and targeting it to American teenagers and they were whitewashing the originators but teenagers just like now and then are very woke. So they would seek out the original work. And because of those teenagers, mainstream record companies and radio stations started playing Chuck Berry, Fats Domino, Little Richard, and more. It's because of those teenagers seeking out the originals that we got to know them. So now, when I was a kid... I was either told or somehow I just thought this. I don't know how this got in my brain. That Bill Haley's Rock Around the Clock uh, was the first rock and roll song. Have you ever heard that? No, I don't think so. No. Okay, gotcha. I wondered if it was like there was a certain time in history that that was like just like maybe it was in a commercial or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. And that's how I got it in my head.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I was kind of sheltered when it came to music. So I was just like I kind of just found stuff on my own. You escaped that.
0: Yeah, right. That's a better way to do it, actually.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So any any like normalized, like um, usual quotes or whatever that people would throw around music, either I didn't hear or they didn't stick with me because I didn't listen to that at the time. So it didn't like it didn't mean anything. So
0: it's probably a good way to go, because a lot of times those like urban legends are wrong. (laughs) 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 They're they're like a marketing campaign at the time. We've
1: proved time and time (laughs) again, in fact, that. Urban legends are usually wrong.
0: Right? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So it turns out, ironically, that this urban legend was also wrong. Uh, Rock Around the Clock was not the very first rock and roll song. Uh, There are many songs that rocked before that. So many historians like to say the song Rocket 88 by Ike Turner that was released in 1951 was the first. But there were songs before that, like Fats Domino in 1950, The Fat Man, But sometimes you have to look further than the 50s, which sometimes historians don't necessarily do. So in 1938, Sister Rosetta Tharp released That's All and This Train in 1939. Both featured a fast electric guitar rhythm, amazing pickings, and a guitar solo. Now, it was gospel in lyrics, but in musical styling, it wasn't jazz, it wasn't swing, and it wasn't quite blues. So, hmm, what do you really call this? Right. Well... In 1942, Marie Ordenkircher described Sister's vocals as, quote, rock and roll spiritual singing. Keep in mind, this was 12 years before Alan Freed coined the term rock and roll. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. Interesting, right? Mm-hmm. So what music industry influencers are very tight-lipped to say is that the actual words that Sister Rosetta Tharp is the inventor of rock and roll. Now, to be fair, music industry people can't even agree on who invented the electric guitar. So they can not agree really on anything. right? Um, however, yeah. Sister Rosetta Tharp is commonly called without debate the godmother of rock and roll. She was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year as an early influencer. And WUNC, a North Carolina public radio station, said that she was, quote, the leading figure in birthing rock and roll. So also very close, right? Mm -hmm. And on the Rock Newman show, Rock was wowed by Rosetta's story. And he demanded from this day forward that Sister would be called the real originator of rock and roll. Wow! So as we get into her life and legacy, uh, you and our audience can determine if you are ready to call her the inventor of rock and roll or any of these other variations. Honestly, it doesn't really matter (laughs) because you're going to see just how awesome this gal is. But we should probably start at the beginning, right? We really should. Yes. All right. Hit it.
1: (laughs) So Sister Rosetta Tharp was born as Rosetta Nubbin on march 20th in 1915 she was born in cotton plant arkansas her mother was katie bell and her father was willis atkins now there's not much known about her father except for the fact that he was a singer and we also know that her parents were cotton pickers now, her mother was also a singer and a mandolin player and an evangelist preacher for the Church of God in Christ, otherwise known as the C O G I C, which I think it, just saying Church of God in Christ is easier for me but okay whatever
0: <laughs> right exactly either or yep <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> um the church was encouraged to do musical expression and worship and allowed women to preach so her mother was a preacher there and her mother was very active in music and included rosetta in all of it from the time she was four years old
0: wow
1: yeah Now, Rosetta was playing the guitar and singing Jesus is on the Main Line, and Rosetta was known as a singing and guitar playing miracle because of how young and talented she was. In fact, she was called all this because she did all that when she was only six years old. Now, Rosetta's mother left her father by the age of six, and the mother and daughter traveled as regular performers in a traveling evangelical troupe with hybrid performances, it was part sermon, part gospel concert, and it was in front of audiences all across America and in the southern states. She was even set on top of a piano at the churches they performed at and played her guitar and sang there and sat on the piano so that everybody could see her. Her exuberance and her talent started at such a young age. It's no wonder she became a rock legend. I mean, she was born to totally. be this. Yeah,
0: <laughs> she was. Yeah. She had no fear of it whatsoever. It was no. her life from the beginning.
1: Yep. Absolutely. And I love the fact that she started in black gospel and essentially a Southern Baptist church. I mean, these are my people. I mean, the I mean, that sounds funny yeah. for me to say, but like, if you've listened to the podcast, you know, I'm a, a big fan of black history and I've been drawn to it. And the funny thing is, rock and roll is my favorite genre of music. Like this is my music, this is my stuff. And the fact that it came from black gospel church music is just like, mm-hmm. are, are you serious? Like it's all comes it makes full total circle. Sense, it, it, right? it, to, it makes complete <laughs> sense. I'm like, I you can't make this stuff up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, I know! I mean, it's it's amazing! Like, when I
1: realized that today, I'm like, are you serious? Like, <laughs> it all comes full circle. It's all the same.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Oh, I absolutely love that. <laughs> it's so cool.
1: <laughs> so, in the mid-1920s, Rosetta and her mother settled in Chicago, Illinois, where they continued to perform religious concerts at the church, while they occasionally traveled to perform at other church conventions throughout the country. But because of this, Rosetta developed considerable fame. She was known all over the place. She was a musical prodigy. She standed out in an era where prominent black female guitarists remained very, very, very rare. Um, blues legend Memphis Minnie was the only other performer to enjoy national fame at this time. Like, it was right. Memphis Minnie and Sister Rosetta Tharp. That's it. You know, it's like...
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, rarity for sure. Yeah. Uh, So when Rosetta was 19 years old, her mother decided it was time for her daughter to get married. <laughs> These Oops, are the things that to, happen. Yeah, time to get married. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So she set her up with Reverend Thomas Thorpe the marriage didn't work out. However, he actually was using Rosetta to make money and try to get more people to come to his church. And Rosetta herself was not happy. So they separated after four years, and Rosetta and her mother moved to New York. However, Rosetta decided to change her last name from Thorpe to Tharp, basically changing the O to an A, and therefore becoming Sister Rosetta Tharp for the rest of her life. So she got one cool thing out of the marriage, right? She really did, (laughs) yeah. I mean, it's a Cool name, Sister Rosetta third Otherwise, I mean, she, yeah, if she would have never got married the first time, she would have been Sister Rosetta Nubbin. I don't think that has as much. Yeah, it's not as much yeah, catchy. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. So in New York, she signed with Decca Records, which I'm going to have Phoebe talk about in a second because she's been digging more into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, while Rosetta was in New York, she turned some heads and got some powerful people's attention. In December of 1938, she performed at Carnegie Hall. She was part of John Hammond's famous Spirituals to Swing concert, and she was performing gospel, not in a church setting, but with a secular audience. And it was very weird to religious circles. She was also performing. Performing next to blues and jazz artists. This was also weird. But the weirdest of all, well, at least to the conservative audiences, was a woman playing electric guitar. And according to biography.com, quote, the performance shocked and awed the Carnegie Hall audience. So she followed up that with a regular appearance at the Cotton Club, where she played and sang with Cab Calloway and Duke Ellington, I absolutely love. So I Mm -hmm. saw that picture and I went, "What? That's my girl with Cab and Duke. That's amazing." In 1939, Rosetta was in Time Magazine with the headline quote, "Singer swings same songs in church and nightclub." At first, her church revival fans thought she was off. She was kind of off her rocker a little bit, if you will. but honestly I kind of think they were hurt a little bit Rosetta was theirs you know Mm -hmm. they discovered her they grew up with her she was very much part of their family Mm. but soon the crowds were you know what I mean were they realized how much they loved her and they just wanted her in their life no matter if she was doing crossover music or not uh so Rosetta won over her fans once again so how did that record deal though how did that change her life
1: so yeah, this this record deal really changed her life. In 1938, Rosetta moved to New York City, and she actually got signed with Decca Records. It was backed by Lucky Melinda's Jazz Orchestra. Now, on October 31st of that year, she recorded four songs for Decca. They were Rock Me, That's All, The Man and I, and The Lonesome Road, the first gospel songs ever recorded for Decca. All four of these recordings became instant hits and established Rosetta as one of the nation's first commercially successful gospel singers, which is Ooh. awesome. Yeah.
0: Very cool. I love it. And mm-hmm. Decca was big. It very big. It was very
1: big. Yeah. <laughs> so the song Rock Me influenced many rock and roll singers, such as... You know, the one and only Elvis Presley, <laughs> you know, right. Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis. So in 1942, the music critic described Rosetta's Rock Me as its sister Rosetta Tharp for the rock and roll spiritual singing. She had signed seven-year contract with Reminder. Now, it's interesting that a church singing lady was the mother of rock and roll. I mean... Think about it, you know, accused of being devil's music, all this stuff. And it started in church. Um, And in fact, it did actually bother people at the time. Churchgoers were shocked by the mixture of gospel-based lyrics with secular sounding music and the fact that it was sung in a secular world. But then people loved it. But it's so crazy because you're like, okay... But you want people to hear about the gospel. I mean, that's what you say, at least. Right. So isn't it the point? Isn't she doing what she's like... You know, shouldn't you be proud She's of this?
0: She's bringing <laughs> it to another level. She's bringing it to, you know what I mean? Possibly even non-believers to become believers. I mean, exactly. it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's such a weird dichotomy mm-hmm. um, that that's where it came from and that's where it evolved from. But at the same time, it makes so much sense. It
1: totally does. <laughs> I just, I'm still blown away. I'm like, Why are you kidding? It came from this? Like, this is, <laughs> ah, this is perfect. It's just too perfect. Um. I love it. (laughs) She performed at many different locations outside of church at this point. She strengthened her fame, and it was somewhat controversial. She would sing in nightclubs along blues and jazz musicians and dancers. And it was a time period for women where doing these things was not really heard of. And because of this, Rosetta drifted from the church community, even though she spread the gospel music well past the church walls. I mean, it's just, the story is insane.
0: (laughs) I know, it's amazing. (laughs) And it it, comes from a special kind of lady. It really does. You have to really be gutsy to do what she did, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Now, it has been suggested that Rosetta was maybe at odds with the record company when she was signed. Um, there's a quote that said Rosetta and Melinda were increasingly at odds in 1943 as Rosetta itched to quit the big band circuit and renew her career as a strictly gospel act. As Roxy Moore remembers, she hadn't wanted to do the light fair poking fun at old-time religion or worldly material like the song Tall Skinny Papa, but found herself bound by contract. Now, her nightclub performances, in which she would sometimes sing gospel songs amid scantily clad showgirls, caused her to be shunned by some from the gospel community. I mean, it's just like, this whole dynamic is just kind of like a whirlwind of, oh, you're doing good, oh, you suck, now you're banned, now you're doing great, but you're not, but you're breaking barriers, but we hate you, but we love you, it's like... Just make up your mind. Like.
0: Exactly. This is what happens when things start to blend together. Yeah. You know what I mean? When it's not clearly one thing and it's not clearly another, when you start to get a blend... Um, you kind of start to get that, I don't understand it. I hate it. I love it. I hate it. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I kind exactly. of think about it when Bob Dylan decided to go from elect- or acoustic guitar to electric guitar. I right. love it. I hate it. I love it. I hate it. It's, right. it's blending. It's changing. It's evolving. And mm. you you get some pushback. But if you don't get pushback, you're not moving things forward, I think. That is so <laughs> true. I
1: agree with that statement.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so Sister Rosetta was on the road for most of the 19th 1940s. She was 25 years old, and she was rated among the most popular musicians of the day. She was also Gospel's first superstar. Girl had crossed lines of music genres and color lines, and it was a wonderful rarity. She headlined tours with white and black artists in the roster. In a BBC documentary, The Godmother of Rock and Roll, Sister Rosetta Tharb, they talked about her touring with the Dixie Hummingbirds and the Jordanaires. Now, Rosetta had a bus with her name on it, which everybody said was very, very rare at the time. Uh, but many times, the artists actually had to sleep on the bus because the hotels wouldn't allow them in due to segregation and racism restaurants and bathrooms were exactly the same thing and it prompted the song strange things happen every day which is a wonderful mix of jazz piano electric guitar and gospel put to a bounce and beat but it reflected that odd segregation that she saw on the road the song actually became the biggest hit of her career and it was later covered by johnny cash tom jones and etta james
1: Well, holy crap.
0: (laughs) Right? Yes. (laughs) It was never easy for Sister Rosetta. (laughs) No.
1: So in the mid-40s, Rosetta had another musical breakthrough by teaming up with blues pianist Sammy Price to record music featuring a combination of piano, guitar, and gospel. Now, their most favorite tracks, recorded in 1944, were Strange Things Happen Every Day and Two Little Fishes and Five Loaves of Bread. So, in 1946, Rosetta saw Marie Knight perform at Malia Jackson Concert in New York. Now, Rosetta recognized a special talent in Marie. Now, two weeks later, she showed up at Marie's doorstep, inviting her to go on the road. They toured the gospel circuit for a number of years, and it was brave and daring, and together they were their own accompaniment. Um, Rosetta's voice and her guitar and Marie's voice and her piano, together they made this entire ensemble, which they did not need any help. It was these two black women touring together, no men, on their own. It was crazy in the time.
0: (laughs) It's amazing. It is amazing. just doing it for themselves.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. So people often commented that Rosetta played like a man, to which Tharp often replied can't no man play like me I play better than a man which my girl <laughs> oh yes. True. oh yes <laughs> very true um and it's interesting to me because um articles often refer or like I looked up sister Rosetta Tharp and she was referred to as queer and I was like okay I wonder if that's the modern definition of queer or not well she's right. accused mm-hmm. of playing like a man and she also dated both men and women so i'm like you know what yeah she's like a modern definition of queer and i like it that's pretty awesome (laughs)
0: like right exactly
1: speaking of that rosetta and marie were thought to not only be partners but lovers and rosetta had dated both men and women in the past and their friends often said that they were lovers But it was never publicly announced because it could ruin careers. I mean, their careers were already strained, being black women touring with no men. And I mean, yes. And bridging the gospel. And this was the 1940s. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they they were overcoming a lot of other things, so they didn't need that one as well. Right. So unfortunately, starting in 1949, their popularity took a sudden downturn. So Marie harbored a desire to break free as a solo act into popular, more popular music. But tragedy happened upon them as well. So Marie's mother and two small children were tragically killed in a fire, and she was heartbroken. And then she just left. She left Rosetta. She didn't do music. Yeah. She she was Understandably so. She had oh, stuff yeah. to deal with, right? Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Now, that same year, to commemorate Rosetta's first anniversary of being a homeowner in Virginia, she put on a concert at at what is now the Altria Theater. Now, it supported her for that concert was the Twilight Singers, whom Rosetta adopted as her background singers for feature concerts. And she renamed them the Rosettes.
0: I do think that's adorable. My it backup is... singers are the Rosettes.
1: <laughs> it is adorable. And then if you watch that documentary, some of the Rosettes are actually interviewed, which is also adorable, so...
0: Just throwing that Absolutely. Out there. So cute. <laughs> <I love them. laughs> so Sister Rosetta performed at the Griffith Stadium in Washington, D.C. in 1950 with Marie. And the concert did really well. Uh, but her promoters, Irvin and Izzy Fields, were planning on doing a second show. So when Marie and Rosetta broke up, Irvin had this idea to make it a concert and a wedding. <laughs> now, the Fields would promote it. But Rosetta had to find a husband,
1: <laughs> right? You know, they, little I love things. That they came little up with things.
0: this idea without a husband. <laughs> yeah,
1: <it's, laughs> interesting. It, it makes sense, right? Yeah, totally.
0: So tickets went on sale to the public, and Rosetta did meet Russell Morrison. Uh, Russell loved the music industry, but he couldn't sing or play. Uh, After the wedding, Russell would not only become Rosetta's husband, but also her manager. Now, you know, they didn't have the greatest marriage. However, they would remain married until her death. Uh, It was reported that Russell kind of cheated on Rosetta quite a bit and resented her talent. And also, he had no idea of how to be her manager. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that was all the other these
1: problem. things, and and according to the documentary, she her friends even warned her about him and all this other stuff, mm-hmm. and it's very, it's an interesting thing to me. It's just like, but she was married yeah. two other times before that, and she wasn't afraid to get right. a divorce. So it's like, ooh, there's got to be something else there, you know.
0: Right, something else where they took care of each other, or they balanced each other, or they gave each other independence. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like you go see who you see, and I'll see who I'm seeing, but we'll stay married. Right. Like, maybe that was cool too. Right. So yeah. It, it's whatever worked for them. It apparently did. Yeah. <laughs> but now the wedding was a publicity stunt, and it was elaborate. Oh, yeah. uh, people brought wedding gifts. Uh, there was a massive fireworks display after, and there was about 25,000 people in attendance. There was also a record released of the ceremony and concert. Now, Marie Knight was the Sister Rosetta's maid of honor. Her backup singers, the Rosettes, were her bridesmaids, and Lucky Milliner, who was Rosetta's uh, band leader in the very beginning at DECA, that was Russell's uh, best man so the bride was beautiful and the evening was a success and somehow no one realized that this was weird
1: <laughs> oh wow
0: so i know right rosetta just had this way with people she made them feel comfortable she made them feel welcomed and family um even if it came with a ticket price <laughs> they didn't seem to mind <laughs> absolutely absolutely
1: Now, after a few years, Sister Rosetta unfortunately fell to the back burner for a while. She didn't have any new content, and her songs were starting to be considered old. Um, Her songs grew less popular, and she didn't have any more gigs to play. So she moved into a row house in Philadelphia and lived a fairly quiet life for a while. Now, in 1957, a man by the name of Chris Barber remembered her and asked her to tour Europe with him and his band. So she toured for a month and they were a huge hit. Um, at least a month was their original contract, but they, they were a huge hit. She toured for much longer. This type of music hadn't traveled to Europe before this past imitations. So they were an, a sensation. Rosetta was the genuine real deal. And this first time uh, Europe saw that. So Rosetta quickly stole right. the spotlight and they didn't even mind. Now in 1964, Rosetta performed a unique concert in the rain. It was the unused railway station at Wilbraham Road, Manchester. Now, the band performed on a platform while the audience was seated on the opposite side of the platform. So they had train tracks in between them. <laughs> the performers were from America and from different parts of the world, and... This is actually a performance you guys can look up on YouTube. She loved the challenge. She rode in on a horse and carriage and carried herself like the queen she is.
0: It's a great performance. I it absolutely really love is. that
1: show. Oh yeah, it's like the first thing you see if you Google her. Honestly, it's so cute. Right,
0: and you know what? It's a it's a good introduction to her as well. So it is. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and she wasn't scared of the weird layout she was just like okay let's bring the audience to me even though you physically can't because of train tracks you know it's like no well let's let's do this
0: i remember there was one part in uh in a documentary a bbc documentary about her where it was even though there was train tracks in between her and the audience she bridged that audience with their music and i was like oh that is powerful yeah (laughs) oh yeah They felt like they were right there with her. Oh, loved it. (laughs) So her European tour was wildly successful. But back at home, Mama Katie Bell grew frail and died in 1968. Rosetta would tour Europe for only a few more years before she too fell ill. Back in America, Rosetta had a stroke and there were spots on her feet that revealed to be diabetes. She had let the condition go for way too long and so long that she actually had to have her leg amputated. She talked about making a big comeback to her family and friends. However, she had a second stroke and passed away a few days later. Sister Rosetta Tharp was only 58 years old and died on October 9, 1973 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Now Here's the actual heartbreaking bit. Even though Rosetta was loved by her European audiences for 20 years, America had forgotten about her. Her funeral was said to be half full, and when she was buried in Northwood Cemetery, they didn't even have a gravestone marker. Sister nearly vanished into obscurity. In 1998, she was honored with a postage stamp, and in 2003, there was a tribute album made of her songs that featured Bonnie Raitt, Joan Osborne, and Sweet Honey in the Rock. In 2007, she was inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame. But the major champion of Sister's legacy is Gail Wald, and she's the author of Shout Sister Shout, and that book was published in 2008. From her extensive research and TV appearances, that's what got a BBC documentary made about Sister that also showed on PBS American Masters. That also clued in a writer from Pennsylvania named Bob Mertz, who saw Gail in an interview and was taken back by Sister Rosetta Tharp's story. So much so that he organized a benefit concert to pay for a gravestone. So this resurgence of Sister Rosetta Tharp's legacy just might be the reason that finally this year, Sister Rosetta Tharp was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame... As an early influencer, it took a long time.
1: <laughs> it really did. It really, really did. But and also it goes to show that doing research and documentaries and uh learning about things you care about matter, you know?
0: It really does matter. Yeah. And it ripples. It spreads to people. It totally does. And they're like, I can do something about that. And, you know, why haven't I heard about her? And I can learn more. And why do I love this thing that I love? How did it get started? So, you know, it's important. (laughs) Absolutely. So, yes. So now we have the difficult question of legacy, though. My goodness gracious. What legacy do you think, Sister Wanda, leave behind?
1: Well, this one's interesting. She didn't have any kids. Right. Right, I didn't read about any kids.
0: Yep, she had no kids.
1: No kids, so that wasn't it. Um, I feel like her legacy was... Well, her legacy was partially her mother. Like, it was almost role reversal at that point. Because when her mother died, True. she kind of fell apart, you know? So, mm-hmm. I think she just loved her music, honestly. I, ju- I think... It it was interesting in her last performance, right? Um, she said, "I believe in God because it's what I was raised in, and it's what I know, and it, I I have to believe it. Like it it's a part of her, right? I feel like, right? That's part of her legacy. Not like she wasn't like shoving it down people's throat, but she was just like, no, this is me. I want people to get to know me, and this is how I share my love for the world." I'm not even certain Right, It's what an artist should do. You know, yeah. I'm not convinced she thought much about legacy. I think she just loved her music.
0: I'm actually right there with you, too. Because at first, I really, I didn't know how to answer the legacy question. Right. Um, Because I, too, I think she just wanted to play music for people. Um, It's what she did since she was four years old. Right. And whether it was a church or a baseball stadium or a jazz club, um, she just wanted to play. And connect with an audience. And so, I mean, I, I think her legacy really, for her anyway, seemed to be the the work itself. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. The fun part is when you look at the legacy that she accidentally created, you know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like, like, she didn't intend yeah. it. Um, right. But what she did actually leave behind was like Elvis's sound. Um, the way that Chuck Berry ended up playing guitar, uh Johnny Cash's blend of gospel folk and rock and roll. She inspired that, and she inspired and created and invented in whatever way you want to say it, rock and roll um oh yeah, but it's actually I think she, it's a little bit more than that, actually. I think what her real legacy, unintended wise, that she left behind was when she performed, you felt like she was never holding anything back. You got all of her. You got Mm -hmm. her entire voice, her entire guitar playing, her full energy. She gave you everything everything. And I think that more than anything else makes her the inventor of rock and roll, because at the end of the day, rock and roll is about feeling that connects to an audience that they're giving us everything and we're receiving it. So Absolutely. That's what I think her legacy is, but I don't think she intended it. <laughs> she yeah. was just doing her thing.
1: <laughs> I 100% agree. And and that was um that's something that they said in the documentary where rock and roll is all about feeling and that's what hit me. I was just like no the art that gets me the most is that ha- the art that has emotion behind it. So any kind of art that has emotions yes. behind it. And it's like that's why sister Rosetta Tharpe brought to music that's what she brought and how she made rock and roll and that's what rock and roll is based on is about feeling and I'm just like every all the pieces are falling into place oh my gosh (laughs) this is crazy
0: (laughs) it's really hard to define music and even if you say oh it's a feeling it's like that's not really defining it but you know what that's the closest we're gonna get
1: (laughs) oh yeah but it is it's
0: it is. It's a feeling. It's guts and glory. It's heart and soul. It's, you right. know, it's tears in all. the writer, tears in the audience. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's anger in the author, anger in the audience. You know what I mean? Like, it's Absolutely. an energy that connects. Um, yep. uh, music is so wonderfully complicated to talk about, but at the same time, Absolutely. it's universal. So it's really weird. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's so weird.
1: It's it's fascinating. I love it.
0: (laughs) Oh, yes. So what did you learn from her
1: Uh, to give it my all? I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to. And the fact that I learned about myself, it was like, oh, wow, like it's not a mistake that I just so happen to love rock and roll. That's not a mistake. That's like no. That actually right. logically makes sense, which is fascinating. It like makes me want to go. I don't know. Um, I'm pretty bad at um, psychology and sociology, but I pretend to to like it at least. You know. So I I like right. to right. Dig, I'm with you. Dig, yeah, I like to dig into it like at my own level, I guess. So, it makes it very fascinating for me to understand not just myself, but other people. And I kind of do that so I can um, create characters and stories and all that stuff. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, she taught me a whole new level of character.
0: I love that. (laughs) Sweet. I think for me... Um, Oh, goodness. I learned how hard it is to be a gay black woman in the 1930s. That was something that I really, really learned this week. You get no credit for anything that you do. Um, And I, I talked about Moms Mabley in uh, mm-hmm. Funny Gals, how she was also um a gay black woman and quite possibly the very first stand-up comedian ever. Uh, right. But Google doesn't really recognize her <laughs> as such. Uh, and now we have Sister Rosetta, who, my goodness, too many people are scared to call her the inventor of rock and roll. Yeah. I don't know. It might upset the ghost of Elvis, but... I mean, Elvis himself said he didn't invent no, you rock know, and roll. So, like, Elvis right, is fine with Right? I don't. It. I'm
1: pretty sure Elvis will not be upset if we give that title to Sister Rosetta Tharp. I'm pretty sure he'd be like, "No, nah, she right. deserves it." <laughs>
0: Right, exactly. He would have no problem with it. Of all people, he would have no problem with it whatsoever. Yeah. Um, But I think as far as we think we have come in America, the idea of a black woman inventing things is a bridge too far when it should not be. We need to give our sisters credit that they deserve and we need to be their cheerleaders because they didn't get it in their lifetime. And if we don't fan that flame of their inventiveness, uh, they never will get the credit. Credit that they deserve so right. sister got me really passionate this week um I'm still having a hard time realizing just how much she did and how little credit she gets it still right. kind of frustrates me a little bit totally. so I just I gotta become a massive cheerleader for for sister <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Well, that wraps it up for us. So tell us, do you think that Sister is the inventor of rock and roll? Let us know on Twitter at Gals Guide Galaxy. Not sure? Check out her performances and more research links on galsguide.org. Look for the podcast tab. So next week, we're going to be chanting, I love rock and roll and learning about the life and legacy of Joan Jett. Until then, we leave you with this quote from Sister Rosetta Tharp. Oh, these kids and their rock and roll, that's just sped up rhythm and blues. I've been doing that forever. For more information about this week's Gal, or to check out our previous episodes, visit galsguide.org. To support the show, visit the Gal's Guide Patreon page. We love our patrons and offer exclusive perks and behind-the-scenes access for as little as $1 a month. Thank you so much for subscribing to Your Gal Friday.